0: In vain I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. That was Mr. Darcy in Pride and Prejudice. Now, in our first trip down Angley Lane, we rode in a horse and buggy down the societally repressed streets of Kent, England in the early 1800s in another Jane Austen adaptation, Sense and Sensibility. This time, Aang drives us to the Wyoming Rockies circa 1963 in a beaten-up pickup truck where Ennis Del Mar and Jack Twist, two of the most cowboy-named cowboys that have ever graced a silver screen, fall in love while herding sheep. It's a pastoral yet intimate beginning that I never want to leave, but that would be easy, and that's not this movie. Instead, we have to watch as these two men Who are basically made for each other out of the same saddle leather, live sequestered half-lives. They deny themselves a life with each other for basically the whole film, except for every once in a while trysts up in the mountains away from their wives and families. And that's what this film is really about, repression. And this movie doesn't judge any of the characters, it's kind of brilliant like that. There's love and pain and loss and imperfections aplenty, sure. I I mean, it's a romantic tragedy. No one's getting away unscathed. But it's not the characters' faults. It's society's. From our protagonists, to their wives, to their children, to the homophobic roughnecks surrounding them. These are all characters that are trapped by a flaw in our society. What this story, through Aang's brilliant direction, gives us is an indictment. When an individual, a community, or a society at large represses love, it can be devastating to everyone involved. And that love is important, and it shouldn't be repressed. With some of the best performances you'll ever see from Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, Anne Hathaway, and Michelle Williams, which is saying something, Brokeback Mountain is one of the most beautifully shot brilliantly written, perfectly executed and necessary romance films ever made.
1: And then my sis left Married a roughneck, moved to Casper. And me and my brother, we, we went and got ourselves from working a ranch up near Warland, until I was 19. And then he got married and uh, no more room for me. That's how come you uh, end up here. Oh. He was a friend Boy. of mine. Man, that's more words than you spoke in the past two weeks. Well, he that's the most a I spoke of of in. Year. Every time I think of you. Just can't keep from crying.
0: Welcome to The Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I'm Kelly McRillis. and always with me is my co-host. I'm Ryan Graves.
2: I'm Ryan Graves. I'm Ryan (laughs) Graves. Don't forget me. Um, Do you kind of wish that you had a cool cowboy name? I wish I had a cool cowboy voice, like Heath Ledger.
0: Oh, did you know that the reason why he ended up in that voice wasn't necessarily for character, but because he was afraid of flies getting in it? In his mouth,
3: where what? they were filming.
2: <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Have you noticed that um, Commonwealth people, the Australians and the British people, they when they do American accents, they always go like hard the other direction? Like Tom Hardy in The Revenant, he's like... And Leo DiCaprio's like, I understood the bear better than I understand you, man. Um,
0: I think, I think there's something about, um, like restrictiveness or maybe, maybe it all stems to America, like being a little more puritanical in general than, than places like Australia or let's say England, for instance, where it's just like, if I let less out of my mouth, I'm signifying that I am. Uh, I don't know, uh, like a, a little bit more American, I guess I, I am. I am less liberal with my with my actions. Thus, I signify being more American. Do you think that's true?
2: I yeah, sure. I'm not going to dispute it. I also think maybe Heath Ledger's character was a chewer. You know what? You know? I kept expecting that to happen,
0: but he never he never has any spit. And he never so, spit. So I, I feel like if he if he was we didn't we got all of well, the, the beauty of the accent with
2: none of the grossness of the i i don't want to be gross but he does fit once and it's during oh. coitus <laughs> that's right it's to get his dick wet <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's it's for undisclosed reasons yeah so uh we should probably explain what we're talking about we're talking about brokeback mountain yes we are um AK- A.K.A. in pop culture, the gay cowboy movie. Um, I don't know if there are any other... Monikers? Gay cowboy movies, yeah.
0: Oh, I mean, um, I, there there are quite a few. They're just not... Uh, they're just not with stars.
2: Um, no, I would say... I can't think of any other... bigger starring... gay romance films... in terms of... Well, I guess... Maybe in terms of this movie even more legendary looking back because of Heath Ledger, you know, because he passed away shortly thereafter. He did Dark Knight, and then he was gone. And this was mm. like one year before. Um, so I feel like as time passes, this movie gets even more and more legendary. But I remember when it came out, it was the first mainstream gay movie. Um, and I'm trying to think of there's lots of other. buzzier films like in recent times like moonlight and you know uh, there's like trans movies like the danish girl but especially in that decade pre-obama this was this was huge in terms yeah. of a major studio release yeah uh, a 2000 a
0: 2005 film based on a short story that was published in the new yorker um, and and you would think that like this demographic is one that doesn't necessarily cross a lot like uh a love story and cowboys first and then a gay love story between cowboys um like which which studio did this
2: i think this was universal let me fact check myself river road entertainment but i don't know who distributed it so this was a focus features film which is owned by universal that's right focus features
0: i'm i'm generally happy when i see the focus features uh logo come on screen
2: yeah and it makes sense because they had roots focus started as usa which was a much more indie-minded um distributor which actually if i'm correct they championed other gay filmmakers um and they had like i'm pretty sure uh todd haynes had some films that come from came through um, USA Films, and I think maybe Gus Van Sant did too. Um, maybe we'll put it in show notes if that's true or not. So uh, Focus Features does make sense, but I'm pretty sure at this point, Focus Features was already owned by Universal, and it was their little art house studio label, so it had the backing of major studio cash, but it's still a lower-budget movie.
0: Yeah, and speaking of it wasn't, cash... It wasn't it's, Forrest Gump. It's, I know, yeah. Well, I mean, and it was... It was doing quite a lot, though, with its budget. Like, let's let's talk about its budget. It was $14 million, and its opening weekend gross was 500000 which, you know, is not horrible for an indie film, but it's low by today's standards. And its gross total, though, after it kind of got its audience, $83 million. And so it, like, way more than made yes. up for it at the box office. And that's just in the U.S. That's not even worldwide.
2: Yeah. I remember when this movie came out, I was in high school and I remember like, it was such a weird transition because when we were kids growing up, the normalization of, you know, you know, gay life was like, especially coming from Christian homes was really, there's a lot of hush hush. We don't talk about that stuff was as we were kids. But then Mm. when you came into high school, it's like, oh, this is all this is, there's nothing weird. It's normal. Like, why, are, why is this such a hushed up thing? I don't get it.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, it didn't come out until I was in college. Um, the, I think the first winter of me being in college. And so like it, it was never really, uh, a, a thing it, as much of a cultural shock to my, my, my sheltered upbringing as it might've been like at the beginning of high school, maybe, I don't
2: know. I I remember having to talk to like, like, um, friends, parents, and like having to explain that it's not that weird that it exists as a movie. It's like, they're like, I I don't understand why it's coming out. Like it's such a, (laughs) why is it such a big deal? It's like, it's just a love story. Like any other love story. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not (laughs) like they couldn't, they couldn't get behind the idea of it being a normal love story. They're like, but it's so niche. Like the, the, it doesn't the, belong in my big movie theater. It belongs in the smaller movie theater. What's it doing here? I'm like, it's okay, you guys. Don't be afraid. Go see it. You might like it. I mean, they are. Um, they're not the people
0: that uh, Ennis and Jack were worried about killing them. But you know, it that sort of like imagine. Imagine if so blatant a movie came out in nineteen sixty three when this movie was first like that's I think oh yeah that's that's the date that we first find them. It it really I don't know why, but like when this movie dropped, I think more than more than any other in in the 2010s or like the aughts, I guess, it had a sharp cultural shock point where it Mm -hmm. really divided those who either understood or approved or were part of the gay community from those who were like either a, I don't get it. I don't understand or b, like really against it. And I, I mean, I'm just saying this as, you know, um, a young man who didn't grow up in like a, uh, necessarily a, a super liberal or a super conservative household.
2: Yeah. And I think this movie was necessary to get to other movies like um, milk um, mm-hmm. because milk is not about Harvey milk's love life per se. It's just about his life as a politician. And it's really a political biopic. He just happens to be gay, um, which, you know, affects his, his life and it affects his identity. But like, but this Rough is back a- mountain is like the gay love story. This is like about their, romantic love and it's it like kind of blew the doors open it's like all right let's let's include their identities in movies going forward now okay (laughs) and treat them as normal not outsiders they are main characters now yeah it's it's almost like kicking in the door with with
0: a with a boot and i think the fact that it is so cross genre being a drama romance western allows it to do that because it's saying Mm -hmm. look you over there you like westerns and you might not approve of men who are like these characters are, but you approve of exactly who they are otherwise. So, like, why draw this hard line here? Because, like, let's talk about these characters. They are two of the most masculine like rough and tumble characters, especially Ennis, we we've, that we've seen in the romance genre ever, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. He's he's the classic barn burner romance hero of just like, I got the James Dean thing. It's like, I got problems, man. I got problems. And he's like, don't go near him. He's got problems. He's dangerous.
0: Yeah. And in, in that way, it but kind of- But you can't
2: help it. <laughs> it kind of reminded me of Tulane Blacktop.
3: After DC, we'll go on down to Florida. I've got some nice beaches down there.
0: Where it was like, we've got some rebels, but like one of them has a lot of honor to them. At the other one, he's kind of gonna, he's got a little bit of a temper and a little, I don't know, it, like a couple of dangerous, divisive, masculine, um, well, I guess I wouldn't call Ennis dangerous, except for the fact that like, he's so neutral the entire time until he has an emotional reaction. And then it's super heightened. Come here. You're okay. Come here whereas uh Jack Twist's mm-hmm. character is is like a he he's always operating at like kind of a an emotionally heightened level but he never gets to the most mm-hmm. explosive points that Heath Ledger gets to. Dennis. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I Let's, let's just talk about, this is our second Ang Lee movie, right? First being sense
2: and sensibility. He can just come into any culture and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, I get it. I get it. Let's do it. <laughs> and he just can act as if it's a part of his bones. Like sense and sensibility feels so British. Hey everybody, just wanted to jump in right here to say that for the next
0: couple minutes we're going to be playing a small bit of a documentary called Directing from the Heart, Ang Lee. It's just some um, pulls from interviews that the actors and crew did about Ang Lee Um, and it's all in reference to Brokeback Mountain but uh, I thought you'd find it interesting and if you want to find it on YouTube and watch the whole thing you can find it on Creative Graffiti's channel. It's called Directing from the Heart, Ang Lee. Here you go.
3: I think Brokeback is... It's Brokeback. It's... It's an abstract idea. Uh, I I like the taste of that sound, Brokeback Mountain. He's constantly... Constantly inside your
1: character's head and inside the movie, the story. Um, It
4: consumes him.
1: What Aang is doing with it is... uh... It's very, it seems almost quiet in a way. It's very dynamic, very dramatic. You trust him completely, and so anything he tells you, you don't argue because you know
3: he's right. Back in 63. I admire him so much for, for the variety of, of films that he does and the emotional quality of his films. I think that he's definitely the perfect director to
0: tell this important story.
3: He is a fantastic director. I love his movies. He always does very different things, but they are they do have this wonderful emotional through line.
4: It needed to find that person who was going to make it into the kind of like take it to a metaphysical level rather than just play it on just this is a story about two gay cowboys it had to be about really about love you know and i think there's no better person better person to do that
1: Paul oh, is good
4: don't What are we going to do now?
1: Oh, yeah, there's nothing we can do.
3: Aang was always the right person to write this movie. I, from the minute I read the, the screenplay, Aang was the guy. It just happened that I was so beat up from production for the past 10, 15 years. Physically, I was kind of a recovering from making all those big movies. And at the end of that, I thought I would either retire or or take a very long break, at least for a year. And one day I asked... What happened with Brokeback Mountain? Have you made it yet? I-, I was glad that nobody ever made that movie, and it still was uh, available at that time. So before I know, I could physically do it, I'd jump on right away.
0: He might be the greatest, besides somebody like maybe like um, Steven Spielberg, um, he might be our greatest living genre hopper as far as the director's concerned
2: yeah <laughs> sure but but what i mean there's a lot of similar things between a sense of sensibility and *Brookback mountain it's just when he does he did um, crouching tiger right that's him he did crouching Wasn't tiger
0: it? he did the uh, hulk he did um, life of pi
2: what else besides yeah. sense and sensibility yeah hulk that's that's a weird one it, I, let me movie nerd just for a second crouching tiger makes sense as that is his closest like um mother tongue in terms of film uh heritage because cra- even though i haven't seen crouching tiger which is embarrassing to me because i love wuxia films um he's indebted to king Hu, who is also another taiwanese filmmaker so if you want to check out taiwanese cinema king who very important Ooh, wait films.
0: does he know does he know king Vidor?
2: Are they like buds? King <laughs> King who? King Vidor? They're just part of the King um, Club? King Kong. <laughs> uh, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I think Sense and Sensibility. Of what I've seen, Sense and Sensibility and Brokeback Mountain are probably the closest, even though their cultures are so different, their elements are the closest of romance, repressed romance. Yeah, very, very repressed, both of them. Needing to be with someone. So I like to see them as kind of like, i don't know cousin films to each other
0: me too i i really think that this one lives on a similar plane like obviously this one's a much more bleak film than sense and sensibility both in terms of uh filmmaking and subject matter um but
2: like the the depth to both of them is very similar you know what i would love to see uh i i dared you to make um Breakfast at Tiffany's in a courtesan era uh, of a 19th century and 18th century era. Uh, I'm also going to dare you again to do it again with Brokeback Mountain, and I want you as the the director that I know who's so good at directing uh, because I can't <laughs> do something on this scale yet. Um, so that's why I'm daring you, and I'm not okay. daring myself to do it. Thank you. I, I want you it. to make <laughs> Brokeback Mountain same setting as Sense and Sensibility because it would be the same plot because it's the same um gosh a regency era challenges yeah
0: a regency era gay love story would be so cool um like especially like and you could flip it and make it um like a a lesbian story and uh well uh, not uh, not that that not that that jane austen fanfic
2: hasn't been written yet but sure sure well um the tidbit i have about that i don't know if i've shared this on the another episode of the podcast. But I have been studying Regency era because I want to learn more about Jane Austen's time. Um, and I read this book that talked about like, uh, it got to like how romance worked in Jane Austen's era and how, you know, she was working against the tide because it was very much transactional and business businesslike. Um, but it's talking about romance in like cities like London and like houses and prostitutes and child prostitutes. And it was like, yeah, it was a terrible, dirty time. And it was also as terrible as you can think it was terrible for, um, gay relationships that if two guys were caught, um, they would probably be executed or prison imprisoned or some kind of like horrific, horrific, horrific punishment. Yeah. Like his mutilation and, and was also a huge them.
0: part of that. Um, yeah. The, I mean, even up through the fifties
2: like in in England but what I oh yeah yeah with like um, Alan Turing uh, yeah it's terrible Um, but what I learned is they had these terrible punishments for gay men but then something happened with uh, lesbians were brought forth with the same charges and men were literally confounded by it they're like wait 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 wait, how does this work two girls two girls together No, no 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 you know this girl oh boy
1: does she know me? What is she talking about?
2: Because they had this inherent, they thought, like, with 100% logic, they're like, well, women aren't sexual without men. Because we bring all the sex. Mm. We are all we the are sexiness. the fire and they are the ice that cools us. <laughs> so when women come into the situation, it's got to, there, there must be a man present. So these two women together, nope. That doesn't make sense because if they were to affirm that something sexy was happening between two women they would have to confess that they aren't the sexy people that the women are the sexy people and they need the women and they were just too proud for that <laughs> and so there were court cases that like if it was two men it would be at the first level of the court case like yes guilty but it got to like their supreme court and it was just overturned because they couldn't because the men just you're saying that you're saying they were prejudiced because of their pride exactly Uh (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) so if it was two if it was two women they would be somewhat uh, safer than if it were two men and the dangers it's it's interesting but also heartbreaking that there was dangers for gay men in, you know, conservative... Well, any circle at that time. Any circle now sometimes, unfortunately. But, like, you feared for their lives. And this is what we ha- see in Brokeback Mountain is people lose their lives over it. Um, same thing happened in the Regency era, England. And I think you could tell a pretty similar story, but with a different setting, you could get at different angles of it. Mm. I think that'd be... Maybe they already exist. Maybe someone made it. it would be really yeah, cool maybe. But,
0: it. you know, that doesn't mean... Like, people have made... Um... Like cool fantasy movies about hobbits, but I really want to make one anyway. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's dive a little bit into the story because I think that this is one of those long, complicated journeys. A little bit more so than a lot of the romance. Well, more so than most of the rom coms that we get into, but definitely, it's got paths that it takes.
2: It's before sunrise, but instead of one night, it's 15 years. Yeah, and you can tell that
0: the years pass by the length of the sideburns, really. That's that's the way to yeah. tell. And the mustaches. So yes, and the mustaches. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal just looks so much older as he as he ages because they give him they give him a mustache which ages him at least 10 years. Um but with yeah. uh with Heath Ledger, it was like my dad, whenever my dad shaved off his mustache, I was like, "Oh, Oh, you're like in your twenties now. <laughs> um, Look at you! But Heath Ledger, whenever he ages up, um, they add like a little bit of makeup around his eyes, which, especially towards the end scenes, was looking a little, a little bit yucky. But um, like he, he still looked pretty young most of the movie. Would you say?
2: Yeah, he did a good job of later in life. He got cowboy. Um, uh what do you call leather, it like, like leather skin kind of he well his lumbering he yeah lumbers was like a cowboy yeah
0: he and his shoulders kind of changed over the course yeah yeah okay well let's get let's get into the the plot basically you have two cowboys um jack twist and ennis delmar um who show up at a, um, a place looking for work and they are assigned to basically take care of a flock of sheep up in, uh, Brokeback mountain, which is in the middle of Wyoming, but it's shot in Calgary, uh, Alberta, right?
2: Uh Oh, can you explain to me? So they brought this sheep up Mm -hmm. and then they brought the sheep down.
0: Okay, so sheep are really notorious when, um, when they're grazing because uh, they rip up grass by their roots. And so you have to continually mm-hmm. move them around for grazing. Like, you have to do it with all grazing animals, but sheep kind of especially tear up an area. And so you have to continually move them around much faster because they just eat like nobody's business.
2: And they were doing it for the summer,
0: Yeah, they were bringing them to a place, um, I believe, so that they would have something to eat in this area that is like, you know, national parks area. Because like they talked about forest rangers checking in on them. And then you could bring them back to the uneaten grass on the farm in like the fall and winter time Uh, and in winter probably feed them feed. Uh, So it's probably cheaper to hire two guys to go out and do that than to like buy more land for your sheep to graze on.
2: And they were, so they were kind of breaking the law because that wasn't Um, their land to. I don't know if they were breaking
0: the law necessarily. I think, like, I think men just couldn't, like, there was a camping law. Like, um, when Randy Quaid sends them both up there, um, he's like, you can't sleep with the sheep. If the forest rangers catch you, you're sleeping not in an area designated for sheep, which forest or forest service um is supposed to like look for people camping in areas that aren't designated. Um that's that really uh, depends on your national park though cuz like you can go up in the Sierras and camp
2: just about anywhere as long as you have a pass. I literally wouldn't know. Yeah. I'm the most <laughs> non outdoorsy person ever. So this was very much like I was like, ooh, I am I am the vicariousness is wonderful here. Yeah, this it's almost a fantasy me.
0: movie in that way uh, where a lot of uh, a lot of Westerns, besides the fact that like if it's set in the past, you're you're in this rugged fantasy world where there's no civilization and you're on the edge of civilization the whole time. And so it's all about surviving. And even though this is set in nineteen sixty three you get a little bit of that here where it's just two guys yeah. surviving while they you know, take care of this herd of sheep. Just, just guys, guys being, being dudes. dudes.
3: <laughs> What's better than this? Guys being dudes.
2: This was uh, written by uh, Larry. It was written by Larry McMurtry, and I also want to bring up that it was based on a short story by Annie Proulx, and then Larry McMurtry is the one who wrote the screenplay. And man, Larry McMurtry has such a cool um, career that I want to like do a deep dive into what he's done because he's written classic novels classic films he wrote Lonesome Dove which turned into this miniseries that everyone's dad is in love with my, my dad like, has the ask the any Box dad. set Lonesome yeah. Dove is their favorite show of all time yeah it is their favorite show of all time uh he wrote last picture show which is a ground groundbreaking american cinema film which also has um homosexual overtones or undertones i guess i would say uh, he also wrote HUD with Paul Newman, which you and I mm-hmm. watched several years ago. Also a great modern cowboy movie. So uh, this is just another great modern cowboy film. It just happens to also be uh, a great uh, gay romance story. But I like that in the canon of Westerns, this needs to be in the canon of like modern Westerns alongside movies like HUD and Lonesome, well, not Lonesome Dove, but HUD being a film about farms in the 1960s is about, you know, two ranch hands cowboys kind of Finding their way, and I think I
0: think it fits that like um, it, what I like about this movie so much is y- you like let's take a movie like Open Range with uh, Kevin Costner, which is I I enjoy that as a western it's pretty good, and what that that movie does um, that I think my favorite westerns do is it allows you to feel alone in a space, like you really get in this film the the vast expanse that is the wilderness. And I feel like that's essential for Mm -hmm. like, I mean, unless you're doing like a, I don't know, like a midnight cowboy kind of movie or, you know, something set in the city. Um, But this, this movie actually has a second writer as well. You have uh, Deanna Osana, who Mm -hmm. also wrote a bunch of cowboy films um, or not a bunch, but just like Mm. five Western films. You have Comanche moon, dead man's walk streets Mm, of laredo mm -hmm. just a bunch of like television stuff so i don't know if she just came in to punch up dialogue or what but um yeah she was she was the other writer besides larry
2: yeah what i like about the the western the vastness of nature you have shots where you know heath ledger is just in a sea of grass Mm. and he's just alone and you know we're all looking at him longingly um and That's what I would call solitary, but I wouldn't call it lonely because it's like we've been under quarantine for almost 12 weeks now um, and it's been lonely. Um, But I watched this movie and I was like, I could go for what that is. I'm not like as as much as I want to be around people, that's a different kind of solitariness that I'm not getting while being in my house. Mm like I want to be alone among the mountains that seems much better and I mean especially among such beautiful mountains
0: as um these ones that we get here cuz it's it's like that high wilderness but it also um has like a little bit of a temperate climate that allows like grasslands and more trees so they're not at super high elevations where like I mean it, it they're high enough where it gets cold at night but they're low enough that it's uh, it's still um lush and beautiful and it's a it's a very very close divide between those two um, having gone up and, and backpacked through mountains like that before. Like there's, there is a point where you get like above, tw- I don't know, probably 10,000 to 12,000 feet where it changes dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so you have these two guys and um, as we're introduced to them, they have the most The most like 1960s cowboys, you're a new person to me, like um, uh, ways of standing (laughs) where they never get within 10 feet of each other for the first, Mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 minutes of the movie. They're just standing there in the parking lot. And even when they go inside the space where they get the job from Randy Quaid, it's these two men barely even able to say a word to each other, let alone like step close to each other.
2: Not even a howdy. Yeah. Like I really wanted, I really wanted Jake Gyllenhaal to like, uh, like get there and. There was never a howdy in this movie. Just give him a howdy, and Jake Gyllenhaal will be like howdy, and Heath Ledger will be like, mm. and
3: Jake <laughs> Jake
2: Gyllenhaal would be like, I said howdy, and Heath Ledger would be like, it's mm. like ain't you a cowboy friend? Cowboys say howdy to each other, but that scene never happened. Um. They didn't say a thing. We need to get you watching more westerns. I think. <laughs> I thought they said howdy. Sometimes? Haven't you seen Toy Story? Toy Story two. Toy Story three. Oh yeah, 3? the, the Toy greatest Story western 4? of all
0: time. Toy Story. Woody says howdy. Um, but I I loved their physical acting. It's mm-hmm. almost like like they're immediately attracted to each other in a way that neither of them really comprehends very much, and like just absolutely can't acknowledge and the way that Aang shoots them even when they like after they get the, the job they get into the bar and he shoots them looking off screen away from each other where they're both like when, when you cut back and forth it puts the actors right next to each other even though they're not facing each other it's a very interesting way to shoot a shot
4: reverse shot he's working for my old man can't please my old man no way <clears throat> that's why I took the rodeo do you have a rodeo?
1: You know, uh, I mean, once in a while, when I got the entry fee in my pocket. Yeah. Were <laughs> you from ranch people? Yeah, I was.
0: And so he was doing, uh, like, Aang, as as we've seen before, he, he works in very quiet, filmic ways, where he really uses a lot of, like, film grammar to get at subtext,
2: but not in a loud way, where he draws attention to it. There's the one thing that i don't know if it's i guess it's intentional is that in sense and sensibility every attraction is acknowledged through the film grammar that there is a shot reverse shot of two characters having a shared moment of locking eyes and the movie's like get it they like each (laughs) other and in this one it's almost the exact opposite there's never that happening so like when jake gyllenhaal makes his move i was like oh you're just going for it because i didn't I didn't get the signal yet that I see in other romance movies where there's just some kind of signal. See, for me, I felt... And this was your first time watching it, right? Yeah.
0: Okay, for for me, I don't don't know if I got it the first time, but this time, a lot of times they'll show one of the two of them in the background and then the other one purposefully not looking at them. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, since this whole movie is about repression and denial and like creating walls and borders i think like there's one point in time where heath ledger is washing himself um out of a small basin of water and he's nude in the background and in the foreground is jake gyllenhaal just not looking never never even just glancing over to be like oh you know he's taking a a shower over there but it's like a very distinct Well, I mean, one could say it's a very like masculine thing where it's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to interrupt your space. That's your space. I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable by looking at you when you're vulnerable. But I think in the context of this story, knowing what happens, it's much more like the less I look at you, the more I'm in love with you.
2: Mm. Or at at least attracted.
0: I've never uh, seen that before.
2: Yeah. Mm. I'm very, I was very impressed by it because like, when they got together, I was like, I mean, I felt it, but I never saw any kind of signal. But I definitely felt like this mm. is not coming from nowhere. This is definitely, there's definitely chemistry.
1: That don't look right.
4: Well, I ain't going nowhere. Let it be.
1: Now, Monica don't sound quite right either.
4: I well, it got kind of flattened when that mare threw me. Oh yeah.
1: Thought so you said that mare couldn't throw you. Yeah, she got lucky. Yeah, well if I got lucky that harmonica would have broken too.
2: <clears throat> I'm pretty sure this movie probably acted like um like when we saw Tree of Life and people walked out of it cuz they didn't they were like oh I'll go to a Brad Pitt movie cool it's just a regular Brad Pitt movie right <laughs> you think they are in this there? A, a sneaker film <laughs> well you know how like tree of life's like well it's a great movie just not the way that you thought it was going to be oh, it's not yeah. just a run of the mill Brad Pitt movie it's it's a transcendental kind of oh, film
0: yeah. this is an aside from Ryan uh, for Ryan and I we went and watched that movie together and it's the only time I've seen Ryan furious in a movie theater where um, that we had two guys about two rows behind us. And they were maybe the only other people in the theater. And they just start laughing like a quarter of the way through the movie. And they wouldn't stop. And Ryan just stands up and he's like, would you two mind? Did I say that? Yeah. And they left
2: afterwards. I did that? Yeah. it was. I was very impressed. Good for me. <laughs> uh. Anyways, I, I, I got to think especially in this time, especially when George Bush, George W. Bush is president. Like this is just a different time and people just weren't aware uh, that I got to think some dudes, some guys were like, Hey, cool. Like older guys, were like, Hey, cool. Western. Haven't seen one in the theaters in such a long time. That's uh, got Heath Ledger and Jake Gyllenhaal must be some kind of cowboy movie. And they just went in there and minute 30 mark happens. And, I gotta think that some people just were like, "Oh my god," and left and ran away and were scared of it. But I gotta <laughs> think there are some other guys who are like, "Oh, oh interesting." I did not so see this coming. So like, so it's like a, a guy guy thing, okay? And like, you learn, know <laughs> and like get their minds opened up. You know, you know how
0: uh, you were talking about the uh, Regency era guys being like, "How does even it work between two women?" Um yeah. I had I had that that question asked of me when when this movie came out by just like some doofus at a college who who was like uh how does it even work with two guys and I really just wanted to say like they mash penises together really <laughs> <laughs> Um anyway so uh they they have this this like um you know pretty Pretty much it, it's just them kind of very slowly building a friendship in the wilderness while they watch these um, these sheep and they get more and more friendly, um, but it's not like they get close and then... At a certain point in time, like, it's just really cold and they're both sleeping in a camp together rather than separately one night because they get kind of drunk. And so Heath Ledger doesn't go back to take care of the sheep. He stays in the camp. And then Jake Gyllenhaal's like, hey, get in the tent. It's really cold outside. You know, you don't have to be separate. And then there is a real like that love scene is very. It's very passionate. physical. And it's very physical because um I it's it's much it's much more about Jake Gyllenhaal kind of saying like it, the way he grabs Heath Ledger, it almost feels very and Heath Ledger resists at first, and he's like like you can tell Heath is like on on the edge of do I do this, do I not do this? And Jake Gyllenhaal's like kind of begging for him to stay and give in to this feeling that he has. And he like pulls him, but it gets very rough because you have these two cowboys who are just struggling with, and Heath Ledger much more so struggling with this, this feeling that he doesn't feel like he has permission to give into with himself. And so it's, it doesn't bridge on rapey, but it it's definitely something that, that is about a struggle.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, it's a lot harder to read as a love scene because um I just rewatched Pretty Woman. And like Richard Gere and Julia Roberts are so old Hollywood about how they physically touch each other. And it's just very like smooth and soft and gentle and sensual. And this is much more visceral, huh? This is so intense and so physical (laughs) that um, it's like, God, are they going to punch each other? And then one scene they do punch each other. So it's just kind of like, they're so intense. And like me as a watcher, I'm just kind of like, I don't I don't totally track with the emotions, but I'm just gonna kinda let it wash over me and I'm just gonna pick up on it subconsciously of where both characters are at. And I think I got it, but I couldn't I couldn't like delineate all the different emotions going on. It felt complicated. Well, I, think, I think neither
0: could well neither could Heath Ledger, because Jake Dylan Hall is generally pretty open about how he's feeling, but I think tracking with where they are is something that I mean, since this movie is, I mean, let's let's get through it, but since this movie is all about repression, you as the viewer often feel like you aren't let fully into how they're feeling in a given yeah. situation unless they're being open and thus exposed. Um, so they basically have a small tryst over the course of the um, next month or so, and they have a great time up in the woods, but then Randy Quaid calls them back after catching them not that they know, but like he sees them from afar, kind of like having having a rough and tumble, like silly wrestle outside, but then kissing each other. Yeah. And so he, he, at one point in time, after Jake Gyllenhaal's uncle dies, calls them back, and
2: they have to bring bring the sheep back. um And I I really like the scene of him firing them basically, and then you know later on, Jake Gyllenhaal tries to get work with this guy again later, and. You know, Randy Quaid is basically like, "I am homophobic, so no." <laughs> yeah, he's like, um,
0: uh, "We don't, we don't want your kind." Of... He's, he's basically the guy from the Star Wars cantina. He's like, "We don't want yeah. your kind in here."
1: You're wasting your time here.
4: Well, you ain't got nothing. Nothing up on brokeback.
1: Ain't got no work for you.
4: Instill Moore
1: ain't been around, has he? You boys sure found a way to make the time pass up there. Twist. You guys wasn't getting paid to leave the dogs babysit the sheep while you stem the rows.
2: It's so much more realistically handled that it's just kind of like, yeah, that's how people thought, and that's how people rationalized what was going on and he really did see it as like I can't risk having you two up there because you won't get the job done and like not only do I not like what you're doing but you're also going to be bad employees if I let you do it yeah there was um, whereas it,
0: there was kind of a mix of practicality and homophobia to him that
2: made him a very real character yeah but as opposed to something like uh, a movie like shape of water where it's like yeah, well I that's can't exactly what under- I was thinking I'm a racist homophobe. I, I just I'm sorry. That's just yeah. I will be only those things. And it comes out of
0: nowhere where it's like, I'm I'm this really happy guy serving you pie. Also, I'm a racist. Also, I'm a homophobe. So uh just deal with it. And <laughs> yeah, this was like a far oh, more realistic way of dealing with um a a character who is slighted from work because of who he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and
2: it—I mean, it—it yeah. it, it further illustrates of the different type of bosses they must always run into. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't I mean, especially always... Wyoming slash Texas. Yeah, they don't always get caught, but once they do, then yeah, you kind of shit out of luck. And
0: basically, speaking of caught, they—they, um, they, the rest of the movie is just um, basically the two of them living their lives. Um, they each have they each. Get married eventually and have kids and live their own separate lives, but they meet up every so often, um, sometimes after years, sometimes just months in between. And they have like an, uh, a biannual or triannual fishing trip that they go on, uh, sometimes to different places, sometimes to Brokeback Mountain, where they meet up and get to be
2: themselves um, basically.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and when
2: when they, you know, re like a- after, you know, their, their job at Brokema- Brokeback Mountain, they kind of split up because, you know, they, they don't have any reason to stay in each other's lives because they got to go find new work. And so they just kind of split off for several years um, and they both start their new jobs. And once they reunite, it's this big impassioned thing when they reunite, like literally oh. impassioned oh. and they are the worst hiders of all are, time, frustrated me so much because
0: um, it's like, uh, so I'm watching Battlestar Galactica right now. And um, in that show, Gaius Baltar, a scientist, basically has this ghost that always tries to make out with him. And he doesn't like lock the door when any of this happens. So people always walk in on him. And when Jack Twist shows up at Heath Ledger's house four four years afterwards, Heath Ledger goes down to meet him. And he's so happy and they hug and their love is so passionate that they just start like they hug and then Keith Ledger finds like the nearest alley and they just start making out and they are in sight of his doorway where his <laughs> wife and his kids are. And so if he's worried about getting caught, that goes right out the window. And that so frustrates me in film. Like it happens and
2: it's a real thing, but I'm
0: just like watching. I'm like, Heath, don't, he don't, you're going to get caught.
2: So a rationalization that'll give to the film. And maybe it's in there. Maybe it's only a headcanon. Is maybe he just wants to get caught and just get the lie over with.
0: Like, he doesn't. Like, as so that first night when Jack comes back, um, he's, and we should say he's married to Michelle Williams, who gives a stirring performance in this film, Oscar nominated performance. Yeah. She catches him kissing uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, like, as soon as he goes outside. And then. He's like, by the way, uh, we're going to go out and drink. Might not come home tonight. And then he comes back the next morning. And so she's like, I know what happened. She doesn't tell him this, but he just comes inside and he kisses her. And I'm just like, dude, you've got to... Like, unless you've showered really good,
2: you've got to smell like sex. And... (laughs) They probably showered up. Well, I mean, they smoke so much that... Oh, yeah, it probably covers that up. Um,
0: Yeah. But he just... From, from that point on in their relationship, you really don't get the... Heath Ledger, as a, a character, we don't see him caring very much about his wife after being reunited with Jack. Which, not that he doesn't, but you, you get the feeling that Heath Ledger feels more passionately about... It's, it's almost like a light switch happens, right? As yeah. soon as Jack comes back into his life. Because we see Heath being like a, a good husband and like a very loving partner and a good dad up until that point. And then afterwards, he doesn't become mean or anything. He just becomes extremely distant.
2: Yeah, it's the slow descent into the lonely cowboy persona. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just gets worse and worse and worse he gets divorced from Michelle Williams he gets pretty estranged from his children not considerably but enough to get him just kind of like dude you gotta catch up Like,
0: yeah between these two characters um, at, at one point in time when they after they have sex um, they have a conversation uh, when they're still up at Bro- Brokeback where Heath Ledger's like this
1: is a one shot thing we got going on here
3: It's nobody's business but ours.
1: You know I ain't queer.
3: Me
4: neither.
0: And it's it's like they're still being super, like, super hyper-masculine towards each other mm-hmm. in that kind of, like, almost, it's odd to say this, but almost homophobic way. Yeah. But I, I think that... Uh, from what we see in the rest of their lives, Heath Ledger was kind of telling the truth about that. He's like, I, I love you and I'm super attracted to you, but not really to any, it seems anyway, not really to any other guys in his life. Whereas uh, Jack Twisp kind of has a much easier time dividing his time between his his Anne Hathaway married life and going to see and having love affairs with seemingly lots of different men.
2: Yeah. But he also mentioned another woman too. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he's, um, at, at least
0: bisexual, if not, um,
2: yeah, it's, it's something I realized is that I was, I was so curious to understand. Were you saying sexual you bi-curious? <laughs> <Are> you sure? <laughs> uh, I was so curious or bi curious to understand um, sexual identity like labels in Imagine Me and You. And I'm like, well, is Pipes Paraboo? Pipes Paraboo? Like, what is she? Is she attracted to Matthew Good? And I think Robin was like, well, it doesn't really matter, does it? And it's just kind of like, it doesn't really matter with the labels in that movie or this, because I think they're gonna just I think the problem with the problem that they're facing in Brokeback Mountain is that they don't have the space to figure out their identity like yeah I mean they don't besides that
0: one time I was talking about they don't bring up identity at all they just bring up the frustration of not being free to be with each other
1: you know it could be like this just like this always yeah how do you figure that What if you and me had a little ranch somewhere, a little cow and calf operation? Be sweet life. And hell, Lorie's old man. You better give me down payment to get lost. I mean, he more or less already said it. No, I. I told you it. It ain't gonna be that way. You know you. You got your wife, and baby, and Texas, and you know, I got my life in Riverton. That's so. You and Alma, that's a lie. Oh, you shut up about Alma. This ain't her fault. The bottom line is, we're around each other, and, and this thing grabs hold of us again, in the wrong place, in the wrong time we're dead
2: in our day and age we're so obsessed with labels of like we're we're struggling against heteronormative ideals and we're struggling with like white you know identity things and you know cisgender this and there's just so many labels for so many different things and you've got to be you know on the right side of the label or at least you have to figure out and own your label and all that but like for these guys there was no labels they were just like well I'm a dude, I get married to a woman, I have my kids, and they couldn't conceive of an identity that made room for what they wanted. Well, yeah, and um, I mean, that's kind of the
0: tragedy of this movie is if these guys were just born 30 years later, like, I mean, it's still, like, I'm not saying that it would be necessarily a lot easier, but two guys living on a ranch somewhere, right, Right now compared to that time, it's probably not as, as forbidden. I'm not saying that it's easy in any part of the country. I don't want to like, you know, um, make anybody's experience be, you know, belittle that, but like Heath Ledger talks about his dad at one point in time, taking him and his brother when they were like nine and 10 to go see a man who was gay, basically, he was taken out by a bunch of other cowboys and dragged by his, I mean, this is very graphic. So, you know, if you want skip ahead 30 seconds, but he was like dragged by his penis, um, by a truck and just like killed by these cowboys. And so that, that basically creates a fear within Heath Ledger's where, um, at one point in time in the movie, and it's really soft and wonderful. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal's like, look, you and I can start over. We can go get a ranch somewhere and just, live the best life that we want to live and actually be together. And it can just be far away from society. We don't have to deal with anybody judging us. And Heath's like, no, I, I think they're going to find us. And I'm so afraid because my dad like showed Mm -hmm. me that this guy was killed because he was gay. Yeah. Um, As a very real moment.
2: We had the same film grammar when we learned, so I'm getting to the end of the film. If You don't want to learn out, figure it out. But um, when we find out that Jack died and, you know, he's told that there was an quote unquote accident, but we see into the mind's eye of Heath Ledger is like, I understand what you mean. He was killed. He was murdered. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people had accidents back in the day. Quote unquote. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I want to see the rom-com version of this movie, which is Jake Joe and Hall. Like it's like 1979. And Jake hall has got his mustache and he comes up to Heath Ledger. He's like, I've got a new place for us to go, Heath Ledger. And Heath Ledger's where? And Jake Hall's like, to a magical place called San Francisco. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I thought of San Francisco as well during this movie. I was like, you know what? At one point in time, they talk about starting over. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's the 60s. You guys can go to San Francisco.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but like, especially later in life, like they were... S- in some ways they were so close. Like the the middle-aged versions of these guys would have been able to find something of a second life if they were willing to relinquish their older identities. But that's just, especially for baby boomers, like, whoa, no way, man. Like you can't do that. Like, yeah,
0: not only that, but I, I think honor like this, this movie reminded me a little bit of, um, game of Thrones where, Heath Ledger is very Ned Starkish.
3: You think my life is some precious thing to me? That I would trade my honor for a few more years of what wo- of war.
0: Like there's so you... much honor in like even though he gets divorced, um basically the the scene that we see before he gets divorced is where he and and his his wife Alma basically have a have a a pretty healthy relationship from what it looks like, like a, at least a slightly healthy relationship um, at the beginning. And at one point in time, they're about to have sex, and she's like, We should use protection because we don't have much money, and I don't want to have another kid and if we don't have money. And Heath's like,
3: As far behind as we are on the bills, makes me nervous. Not to take no precaution.
1: If you don't want no more of my kids, I'll be happy to leave you alone.
3: I'd have him if you'd support him.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, and it, it just gets extremely real. It, like, cause he, he says, I'm basically not super into having sex with you. And you have to think by that he means women.
2: Yeah. And I don't want to make too broad generalizations, but. I think, on average, men tend to have a more needy sex drive than women do, kind of on average, if I had to make any kind of generalization. And I wonder if he and Alma kind of had an equilibrium for a while because of that, is that she probably wasn't as interested in sex in the first place, because she seemed kind of like small town, kind of cloistered, repressed kind of person, too very church uh, church minded kind of woman and especially like it's bad now for for people growing up in the church but I'm sure even then there was even more repression when it came to sexuality oh for and sure so, especially I, in Wyoming yeah so I just wonder if they made it work for a while because they were both repressed in their own ways and <laughs> I mean that's <laughs> like, possible there's definitely subtext to support that yeah at least that was my headcanon it was like I can see them I don't know, eking out a sexual lifestyle that can, you know, I don't know, make it work until it gets to the point where it's broken mm-hmm. uh, altogether.
0: Basically at the end of this movie, um, as Ryan alluded already, you have Jake Gyllenhaal, not, not too long before tells Heath, like, look, I was willing to give everything up and I still am to be with you. And Heath just breaks down mm-hmm. cause he can't like, He's, he's like, we have to stop seeing each other. Like I'm, he, He's also trying to spend more time with his daughter. And it's just, it's such a heartbreaking moment. That's where the, um, I can't, I, I just can't quit you line mm-hmm. comes in.
4: Yeah, we'll try this one. And I'll say it just once. Go ahead. Tell you what, we could have had a good life together. Fucking real good life. Had us a place of our own. But you didn't want it, Ennis. So what we got now is Brokeback Mountain. Everything's built on that. That's all we got, boy. Fucking all. So I hope you know that if you don't never know the rest. You count the damn few times that we have been together in nearly 20 years, and you measure the short fucking leash you keep me on, and then you ask me about Mexico, and you tell me you kill me for needing something I don't hardly never get. You have no idea how bad it gets. And I'm not you. I can't make it on a couple of high-altitude fucks once or twice a year. You are too much for me, asshole. You son of a horse and bitch. I wish I knew how to quit you. Then why don't you? Why don't you
1: just let me be, huh? It's because of you, Jack, that I'm like this. I'm nothing. I'm, just, I'm nowhere.
3: Ugh.
0: And then very shortly after that, Heath hears that Jake Gyllenhaal dies and he goes and visits um, his parents afterwards and then goes home and life just kind of continues. And in that way, it's a very bleak Midwest, like everybody in the last 20 minutes of this movie is just so, except for Heath Ledger are just so bleak in their sadness in the wake of Jack Twisp's death from his parents to his wife, everybody.
2: I was so hoping that the resolution would be he, Heath Ledger would find someone new because of his love with Jack And being like, don't throw away your life. Like, It's not too late to be in love and to be Mm -hmm. with someone. And maybe the rest of his life, he just has Jack in his heart. And that's good, too. Because at least he had love in his heart. And he had those experiences to look back on the story of his life, which is better than looking at the story of his life with no Jack. Um, So at least he had that time. It's just, uh, yeah, the tragedy is... I think this is why movies like Brokeback Mountain are almost more appropriate for uh, guys like me me just grew up heterosexual. And I just that's just kind of my identity. I just was always, you know, very comfortable with that and just knew that my fate was I'm going to find someone eventually and we're going to fall in love and we're going to get married and nothing's going to get in my way. And like, you don't think twice about anything getting in your way. Um, and you watch a story like Brokeback Mountain and you're like, Jesus, like that privilege of not worrying about it, just having like any life is available to me if I want it and I'm just going to go get it. But that's not the reality for these guys. And it's not the reality for a lot of other guys in different situations. And yeah, it really breaks the heart.
0: Yeah, it really does. And I, I think, um, Romance movies generally have the possibility of heartbreak, right? Even rom-coms, something that's really light and fluffy, most of the ones that we've seen have the possibility of having your heart broken, even if it's in a small, juvenile way. And this movie, its heartbreak is kind of like a really long cry. It's it's just like something that you can hear cracking from the distance, like an icy lake, and you just know it's coming, and you're hoping that it doesn't reach you, and... Ugh, I mean, I don't think I don't think we've seen or maybe we'll see a movie that's this bittersweet.
2: Yeah, I agree. I'm trying to yeah. think of like other tragedies and I can only think of other tragedies that are like Shakespearean that they're classic tragedies, but they're not nearly as moving. Mm. I mean, this movie was definitely
0: moving and that's i mean we haven't talked at all about um jake gyllenhaal's and heath ledger's amazing performances like the fact that they didn't win oscars for this is is extremely surprising to me but the i guess it's not that surprising it's 2005 but um the uh can can we talk a little bit about the um the design approach to the poster of this film yeah um we can it's so <laughs> thanks, I appreciate it. Um you you basically have in, in the main poster of this film, you have both of them looking opposite directions, but almost looking like uh Jake Gyllenhaal's head is resting on Heath Ledger's shoulder. And mm-hmm. it was modeled on the Titanic poster.
3: Ah. And
0: uh which has a very similar look. I mean, they're they're a little bit closer, which is kind of appropriate because, you know, um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet's relationship in there, even though it's <laughs> divided by class, you know, them being together is, is, is not something that they ever question once they are together. And so if you look at the Titanic um, poster and the Brokeback Mountain, it's, it's extremely
2: similar. We'll have to do and, a Instagram post of putting the two posters. Side, oh yeah, aside. totally. But that is interesting when you, when you have movies like that was a tragic story of, you know, um, Leo and Kate and
3: well we need Kate and we need Leo and we need them now
2: come on <laughs> thanks ladies uh, <laughs> but it puts things into perspective it was like yeah they had a tragic love story they knew each other for three days and then you know the Titanic got hit by an iceberg wah whereas Brokeback this Mountain 15 feels 15 years it just feels it, way more realistic
0: yeah way realistic more. and weighty um, yeah, and part of that becomes in the filmmaking, like this there's so much attention to detail where when we first see Heath Ledger, like this movie's almost bookended by three shots. It's a truck driving through the like edge of the Wyoming Rockies. and then Heath Ledger gets out of the truck carrying a bag, um, a paper bag. And in the same way, at the end, he takes another paper bag out of a house, and gets in a truck and drives across that same stretch of road, mm-hmm. and um, it it makes it feel like a book. It makes it feel like a long romantic tale. Um, yeah. And there's there's other moments of epicness like that, like when, uh, like when the the bikers are, um cussing a lot and um heath ledger being the honorable man the ned stark that he is stands up and like fights them and then after he does he he like looks he he just stands there and like looks to his wife and then there's like red white and blue um like fireworks going beyond. It's one of the most beautiful shots in cinema. It's if, so good. If you've never seen this movie, if you're not going to see this movie, go, well, go watch it, but go watch that scene. It's one of the most beautiful shots.
2: It's so good. Cause the movie's basically like cowboys. And just is this <laughs> I <almost> spit <laughs> cowboy, <laughs> cause it's got fireworks. Like it's the most American image ever made. Cowboy amidst a baseball field with fireworks in the sky. Having just beaten up a whole bunch of... (laughs) Like, a couple of nasty bikers. And that's even more America, because he's secretly gay. Like, it's just all the layers. Uh Uh, It it is...
0: That might be the most... um, Like, contextually, the most American scene in cinema.
2: Yeah. Um, Before I forget, I did want to bring up another filmmaking thing, and that's the cinematography in the movie. And... Uh, Westerns usually have a gold patina to it and they're usually red as a color scheme goes. It's generally shot
0: with very particular, um, outdoor stock too.
2: Yeah. This movie kind of knew that and ran in the opposite direction. Um, in terms of colors, it does go in literally the opposite direction on the color wheel that it subtracts red and it goes after blue and green.
0: Yeah, um, which really makes the outside scenes feel very lively when you're in the mountains, it, it like full of life is what I mean. But when you're inside, it makes it feel cold and trapped and bleak. There's mm-hmm. a lack of warmth in the inside.
2: Mm-hmm. But it's very lush when they're on Brokeback Mountain, as opposed yeah. to other Westerns where cowboys are, among- are amongst kind of dead earth of just dusty, brown, dirty... Nothingness. This was the opposite. This was lush liveliness. And and that was that was super
0: pretty. Like the um the horizon lines of this film are a lot higher than you'd usually get, um, which gives you a lot more earth. And it I don't know if this was intentional, but um with with the horizon lines of the mountains or the vistas, uh, it always seemed to be in like that upper corner of the film. And it made me think of like you know, that place we're trying to get to is almost too far away. Mm, that's uh, but a good everything point. that we have here is, is very, you know, alive. Yeah. And the the, um, the DP, uh, Rodrigo Prieto, um, he also did Alexander, which also has that kind of like washed out feeling mm, to it. Yeah.
2: I also like that they're herding sheep and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of sheep in Angley movies, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, the sheep. Like I don't I haven't seen a lot of westerns and I, I do want to uh, change that and I'm still relying on you to show me more westerns when yes. we get to it eventually. Uh but it does feel because they're sheep softer compared to other kind of livestock. To like cattle with horns. Yeah. And yep. there's something more, I don't know, tender about this livestock. It doesn't feel obvious, it's just kind of like, yeah, sheep. It's livestock, it's cowboy stuff. It's what we do. <laughs> um You know, Ang Lee, actually, he
0: had such a hard time with sheep on Sense and Sensibility that he said, no more sheep. I'm never having sheep because he always wanted them in the background, but it was so hard to keep them where they were. Right. Um, And then he basically was contract. He he was going to make this movie and there was just like sheep was such a big part of it. And so (laughs) he um, you'll see that there's some scenes uh, where they where they bring in like a whole herd of real sheep and they're obviously dealing with real sheep because they're carrying them. And it wasn't when they picked up the tiny baby sheep, it was so cute. Um, yeah. But uh, a lot of the times when they're trying to like shoot a night scene or they're trying to shoot all the sheep on a Vista and they didn't want to deal with it. He's like, I'm just going to pay to have
2: it comped. And so he just had yeah. a bunch of digital sheep in there too. So there's a shot where we see a dead sheep, right. That's been disemboweled.
0: Yeah, and it's, that's kind of symbolic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um man, it I, happens right after they have sex.
2: I was watching this movie, and I was thinking, this is such a good movie, but I don't know if I'll have the heart to rewatch it because it is so harrowing. But now I'm like, ah, I kind of need to rewatch it. I will get a lot more out of the second viewing. So I was very literary myself. like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. um, but just from a filmmaking point of view, how do you get a disemboweled sheep and not piss off PETA?
0: Well, I don't think you can, um, because PETA is going to be against any disemboweling of anything. Um, but I think you could probably do one of many things. You could probably uh, have a butcher or something where, oh, yeah. like, like get, get um, the rest of a carcass from a butcher that's already used it. Or you can also just, like, I've seen art directors make some pretty convincing dead things that aren't dead.
2: Yeah, I was just so thinking I mean, about. I was just thinking about the production designer, and that was probably the last thing on his list of like and the uh, dead sheep, the fucking dead sheep. Damn, I don't want to <laughs> deal with this.
0: Um, the and you know the I think the production design in this movie was great. The costumes were good. The um, the art direction, like when you see uh, Ennis and Alma's apartment or house, just goes from even though they're living out in the country and they don't have a lot of money, it does feel like a home, and then. Yeah like over the course of the films it just gets more cluttered and just more
2: nonsensical let's talk about um <clears throat> jake gyllenhaal and anne hathaway mm. um, anne hathaway is stupendous in this movie and i think she her, is. Secret, her secret weapon is that she her a lot of her famous roles is princess diaries or devil wears prada where she plays these very bubbly rom-commy characters but her secret weapon is that she is a devastating ice queen she is so good as Mm -hmm. that persona especially her last scene
3: well he said it was his favorite place i thought he meant to get drunk he drank a lot
0: there is so much emotion in her lack of emotion yep yeah, it's funny because that's the last time we see her and it's the absolute opposite of when we see her in the first time, which is riding a horse extremely fast. And then she walks up to Jake Gyllenhaal after losing her hat and she has the most expressive like anime eyes that are just filled with like life. And mm-hmm. she is just so devoid of all of that at the end.
2: And it really shows her range. She like winks at Jake Gyllenhaal or something like that. And she does, it, yeah. It, I was just watching the movie, and I I blushed just watching it. I was just like, <laughs> 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 like, wow. I was just, whew. She's a, yeah, she wooed me. Yeah, and she was riding, like,
0: all of them were, all of the horse, uh, well, I, I don't want to say all of it, but a lot of the horse work was done by the actual actors, Um <laughs> Angley apparently sent Jake Gyllenhaal to um Cowboy Camp in order to get toughened up a little bit for this movie. Nice. And and you could you could kind of tell that I, I don't know whether it's just their particular acting styles, but Heath Ledger's Heath Ledger seemed a little bit more naturally um accustomed to being a cowboy at the beginning of the film than Jake Gyllenhaal did. Like when Jake Gyllenhaal was carrying buckets, it seemed like he was like, Ugh. I have to carry buckets right now
2: <laughs> yeah it, it follows because jake gyllenhaal's career path is he rodeos for a while after that and he hates it and so then he becomes a salesman that is father-in-law's huge um tractor you know business and he becomes a salesman really and doesn't really have a lifestyle of being i would call it like in the shit of like the really hard stuff the roundups the the you know, yeah, you know well, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. What you're so talking he about. he doesn't do Jake Gyllenhaal. Just kind of avoids the rough work and goes for the like nice nicer time of being in tractors and just doing that.
0: Yeah, but I think he he would prefer doing the other work. He just he's resigned to living a different kind of life, and I think part and parcel to that is selling tractors. And you don't really. S- you don't really see him um, kind of do what he wants in life until at one point in time they have this turkey dinner where this is still when his relationship with we never really see his relationship go downhill with Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway, we just hear about it when he's talking to Ennis at one point in time.
2: We do, we do see a later scene where they're talking about he's looking for his parka, and there's just this stiltedness between them. So we, I mean. There is, but like, even after that is the Thanksgiving
0: scene where, okay. um, he, he carves Turkey and like really like he and Anne Hathaway's dad who have had, a, you know, a kind of a fight this whole time, uh, for who's the most masculine in this relationship. And he really puts, uh, what's his name in his place. It's brilliant. It's such a brilliant yeah, scene. It's, it's such a good scene. And like, you see Anne Hathaway be like, nice. I, I'm kind of attracted to you it's
2: again. So yeah, it's so cathartic. Fortunately, neither of you and I have that problem. <laughs> but I could just imagine if I was presented with that problem, how much more I'd be cathartic of like, ah, ha, ha, you don't tell me <laughs> what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but currently at Thanksgiving dinner, I'm like, it's all you and it's all you, father I don't I don't want to touch the turkey, I'm afraid. Okay. I, I think um have you have you watched the trailer for this film? Oh, no.
0: Oh, well, let's watch it right now, okay?
2: Okay. If
1: you're looking for work, I suggest
4: you get in here pronto. Well, since we're going to be working together, I reckon it's time we start drinking together. Buddies. You know, it could be like this, just like this, always.
1: This thing grabs hold of us in the wrong place, and we're dead. You boys sure found a way to make the town pass up there.
3: You don't go up there to fish. So you don't know nothing about her.
4: I have no idea how bad it gets. If you can't
1: fix it, you got a standard.
4: I wish I knew how to quit you.
2: They cheated and used the Shawshank Redemption soundtrack. It felt like the Shawshank Redemption.
0: I felt like I was watching a trailer cut for like another kind of epic, like uh Shawshank or like a Forrest Gump or. Yeah. Yeah. They made it look um, a lot
2: warmer and gentler. It's like, mm, nah, Yeah, no. it only,
0: which, which the movie does have. It just, it's only half of the film.
2: Yeah. It's a lot tenser than that. I think it'll get more butts in seats though. Yeah, and it worked. Mm -hmm. People did go. Like, I think what's interesting about this movie is that the women have smaller roles but have significant roles to at least illustrate a lot of different things. But probably the theme, most of all, especially with Michelle Williams, is that her relationship with him, with her husband, is just as repressed, you know, because of the way he's treating her yeah so since he is like it's it's kind of talking about
0: the contagion of suppression right Mm -hmm. where since society does not allow for him to exist as he wants to he is going to attach himself to somebody else and live at least a partially full life but that forces her to lead a very partial life as well
3: yeah,
2: and round and round it goes and just everyone's unhappy and um yeah, I felt I felt sympathetic for everybody, but I was almost more sympathetic for the wives who just are also really trapped cuz they can, they don't go they don't get to go on fishing trips. They're stuck at home with the kids. Mm. So they get a bum deal too. I felt more bad for Michelle Williams, I think than Anne Hathaway
0: cuz she's like at least I have money. <laughs> um I the one scene actually the one scene that I I didn't quite know if I believed f- wholeheartedly was when she starts talking to Heath Ledger like Heath basically visits her and her new husband um during Thanksgiving and they're doing dishes together and she basically calls out Heath Ledger and is like hey I know you basically went up to on your fishing trips and we're having sex with another guy. She doesn't say it, but she all but comes out and says it. Mm. And Heath is so scared of her saying that, that he like grabs her and like raises a fist to her to tell her to shut up. And like, I get, I get Heath Ledger's afraid right there, but from everything
2: else I've seen, I don't see him being that threatening to her he's threatening to everyone else and he i don't i think that's as far as he was going to go cuz uh, i think he I, I saw him catch himself i mean yeah he
0: did and obviously it was a mistake and he felt horrible about it so horrible that he went up and almost got beat up on purpose in order to punish himself um but it's it's like it's one of those moments where you see an honorable man faced with his with his years of dishonor and his confrontation of that is fear and aggression.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's it's a powerful scene. It's always yeah. his response. And I really liked him leaving Jake Gyllenhaal the first time early in the movie. And there, he's just walking down the road and it looks like he might throw up.
0: Yeah. Uh, Cause he, <laughs> he goes into the alley and it's a really beautiful shot too. Cause it really gets us on his level. But yeah, yeah. he, he, he is one of, and you know, I, I had a really bad relationship in my one part of my life. And like the, when you really hold in your feelings for a long time, it's like, they want to escape from you in some way. And so when he was like almost throwing up in order, like to let something out yeah, when he couldn't like really be real with how he was feeling about this relationship, it was, it was very real to me.
2: Yeah. And then the, Guy comes up to him, and Heath just gives him the best cowboy fuck off. What the fuck are you looking at?
3: Huh?
0: Yeah, what What are you looking at?
2: Yeah, which is like, hell yes. like, now That was a manly, like, get away from me if I've ever heard one. Good for you, Heath Ledger. Um, um. But that's such a... It's almost like Jake Gyllenhaal feels the more true to himself and Heath Ledger feels the most affected of the personalities Mm. because he has no choice but to put on that persona. And we never really get to know who Heath Ledger is and maybe he doesn't even really know who he ever really is. And his whole life is just this identity that's just been hidden for so long that there's not much one left.
0: Yeah, it's all built up in the fear that his father showed him at one point in time where since he since he didn't want that to happen to him, he created a persona where that couldn't.
2: Yeah. And, you know, like Jack will find ways to be temporarily satisfied throughout his life. We see him go down to Mexico and he finds sex for himself. Um, he hooks up with David Harbour. Did they Did they hook up? Like, I David Harbour so, came he, on to him, but I don't know if they...
0: He mentions anything. going to a cabin and that he's been seeing a guy as well as
2: seeing uh, a woman.
0: Okay. I, so maybe. Uh, yeah. But also like there was there was that scene where David Harbour like within 5 minutes David Harbour, Linda Cardellini, and Anna Ferris all show up and then Kate Mara plays like, uh, yeah. five. She's only 5 years younger than Heath Ledger right there playing his like 20-year-old younger daughter. She does
2: look baby-faced in that scene. Though. Yeah,
0: she she has that like perfect teenage face. Yeah. Just Barely on the edge of adulthood. I was
2: like, Hey, David Harbour. What up, dude? <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> and Lin- Linda um, Cardellini's great. Um, yeah. It's too bad. Like I would have watched a three hour version of this movie where we get to like spend more time with Linda Cardellini we just didn't have time. Uh, yeah. I like their,
0: their, their kind of like friendly relationship with each other. And like when she confronts him and asks him to be like, she basically wants to know why he ran away from her. Hmm. And he just is just like, I'm sorry. And he keeps himself so closed off. Like he always does. He's, he is probably
2: the most invulnerable
0: character that we've ever seen.
2: So when did you first see this
0: movie? Uh, In theaters, probably January
2: of January, February 06. Oh, really? Cause I didn't go see it. And I remember, cause I talked about this on imagine me and you where like I encounter Imagine Me a new DVD at like Blockbuster. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Not for me, but that's nice. <laughs> and like, Brokeback Mountain came out, and I had to like defend it because I was kind of a mo- I was like a budding movie buff at the time, and I was like, well, it's a respected movie. I never went and actually saw it to defend it. I just defended it. It's it's, it's right to exist. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you should check it out if you know you like romantic movies. But I, when that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you went to youth group right in high school? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that was a, a an arena for you.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I mean, granted, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest near the urban core, not like sure yeah. in Eastern Washington, which I'm sure was probably a lot scarier of it was conservative a value. Yeah. Nonetheless, it was still, yeah, it was still harder to kind of rationalize, and so. My parents wouldn't give a flying fuck if I went and saw Brokeback Mountain, and they wouldn't think of it as like, oh, what? Do, why is our son seeing this? But it was one of those things where it didn't cross my mind to go see it um, mm. at all, not out of fear of how would I seem, but I, I just, I don't know. It it was this. It was very similar to imagine me and you were like, oh, that's nice. That it exists. It's not for me, but it's nice. Uh, and how wrong I was because my romantic identity at that point uh i was a few years away from seeing 500 days of summer which i greatly related to tom who is also kind of a romantic repressive kind of guy that's just screwed up in terms of his romantic needs but he's an idealist
0: for sure yeah
2: and i was just starting to get into this really bitter place in college when you met me of, well, I was, <laughs> I made a lot of messes for myself in my romantic life. <laughs> um And not even in a fun way where I had like flings, but I had like no flings. Cause I was such a perfectionist that I was like, no, I will only date a person if I can see a full fledged future with them. And so I never got anywhere with anyone because I never really considered people unless I, idealize them in my head, um, which made for a very lonely time in college. I was really lonely in terms of romance. Um, and these guys are lonely and they're really regretful of not being able to have the life that they wanted. And the biggest fear I had in college was what if I never find anybody? What if I never fall in love? What if it's never going to happen for me? And it felt palpably real. It didn't feel like, Oh, woe is me. It'll never happen, but it's like, come on, it'll happen dude. No, it felt, I felt doomed. Um, and this movie could have given me some perspective. It was like, lighten up. You're not doomed. Like, right. You're in such a better territory than most people. Sure. And I mean, but what this movie also
0: does, um, like that was a really good point, but also the, this movie is very connectable on the universal themes of, of like loneliness and there, it doesn't matter if you haven't had, you know, as tragic of a, of a life as these two, or if you've had a life way easier than yours, you can still relate to that despair of thinking, am I never going to be able to be with the person that I truly want to be with?
2: Oh, absolutely. It's so, that was so relatable of that longing of being so in love with someone that you can't be with. I think everyone can relate to that. I think mm-hmm. everyone's been in that position once in their life. And it's even richer for me now is because you know, I'm blessed to be married and to be with the person I love. But there is this other idea that's like, hey, life is finite. Like don't don't exist. Go live. Like don't don't let yourself just stay put because you will look back and you you will have looked at that time and realized it wasn't the life that you wanted. And that's what we see these characters dealing with. It's like, uh, I guess we can figure out a way where we can go on these fishing trips together and that'll be enough for a while. But they realize like, this isn't good enough. We need yeah. something better. And they're looking backwards and they're saying that wasn't good enough. Their talk by the lake at the end is
0: basically summing that up. Like we we had a chance at one point in time and we we still could but do you see how much we've missed out on and Mm -hmm. unfortunately ennis is like locked in who who he is and i i wanted to ask you like that last scene where he like we we haven't seen him the entire movie choose his family over his work or his family Mm -hmm. over jack but after jack dies um his daughter comes to see him and she she's worried that like she she invites him to come to her wedding she just got engaged and she tells him it's in July and he's you know she wants him to come but he's at first he kind of you know it's like I don't know if I can because I'm going to be on this you know cattle drive and I can't say no and then he's like you know what I can they can find another cowboy I'm going to be part of your life and even though it's not the life he wanted before, he takes time to commit to something more fully than he has before. He he's not avoiding his life in a way that he started to as soon as Jack came back into his life. And I'm not saying that, like this movie's obviously not saying. This, this movie is saying what you you were just saying. Like you you should if at all possible, find a way to basically chase your bliss, like do what makes you happy as long as you can survive. And I mean I mean it's it's more of a holding holding a to- like a, a time period and a society up on trial for like saying, Imagine how many people you as a society have done this to in limiting yeah. their love
2: and continually making them afraid. It's really tough because um, in our culture today, um, there's not not a lot of people that get hurt in the wake of a relationship like mine and my wife's. Whereas for these guys, if they followed their bliss, they would still leave a wake of hurt. Yeah. People will get hurt because of that.
0: Yeah, like Heath. I mean, Heath is always like, look, I've got my kids, like... If they find out about this, like they're going to be... Well, I mean, he's afraid that they'll be even more hurt or that he won't be able to see them anymore because, you know, who knows what uh, a judge will say about that in 1970-something.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's such a good, juicy conflict um, because if, if one of them was a woman and if this was a totally hetero film, it would still be a problem that would be difficult, but not insurmountable. Right. That if Jake Gyllenhaal was a woman and Heath Ledger's having an affair with a woman, then it would just be like, well, just got to bite the bullet, get divorced, and go be with this woman. And eventually things would settle down. It would it all work out. Right. There is no path forward for things to settle down and be all right for any of these characters.
0: You know, and I was wondering that when... Um... Like when Heath Ledger goes to see Jack's mom and dad at the end. And Jack's dad is just like unnecessarily bleak where he's like.
1: I come by to say that if you want me to take his ashes up there on Brokeback, like his wife said he wanted to,
3: then I'll be happy to. Tell you what, I know what the Brokeback Mountaineers. Thought he was too goddamn special to be buried in the family plot. Jack used to say, Ennis Del more, he used to say, I'm gonna bring him up here one of these days. We'll lick this damn ranch into shape. Had some half-baked notion the two of you was gonna move up here. Build a cabin, help run the place. Then this spring, got another fella gonna come up here with him, build the place, help run the ranch. Some ranch neighbor of his from down in Texas gonna split up with his wife and come back here it half
0: seemed that his dad didn't approve, but if he did come back with a fella, he wouldn't—he wouldn't necessarily say no. He would say, "Well,
2: as long as you're turning the farm about, I don't need to know what goes on." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, still bitter. And I loved—I loved Jake Gyllenhaal's mom. Oh, she was so good. She doesn't, she doesn't say a thing. She just puts a hand on Heath Ledger's shoulder and was like, "I get it." I totally get it.
0: Okay, you know in Inception where there's the top, um, and mm-hmm. it's it's that thing that you could put on a movie poster and you would know exactly what movie you're watching.
2: Oh, if you had a minimalist poster, yeah, it would uh-huh. be, the, it would the, be the spinning
0: top. I feel like this movie would be like kind of the outline of a couple of shirts on a hanger with a like a blood mm-hmm. splotch on it, because yep. as soon as he yep. finds that jacket in Jack's closet, and he just breaks down and smells it and hugs it i mean it's it's you know it's super symbolic for it being in a closet too but it's it's not like a it's not a uh, it's not heavy-handed because i mean that's of course where a jacket would be
2: it's one of those symbolic things that film critics are so like excited to be like explicating of like and he takes the jacket out of the closet Mm -hmm. and it's like italicized or underlined it's like aha you're so clever Yeah, yeah yeah Um, but that being, but the movie doesn't do the movie. The movie doesn't, doesn't... I think it handles it really well. Yeah. Well, I I wanted to make one final point. I didn't, I wasn't quite sure how to say this, but I think it must be said, um, for, I think, I think schedule wise, this is coming out. This episode will still drop in June. Oh yeah. Pride month. and It's pride month. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is great. And I think something that, um, you know, full disclosure, I I identify as like a Christian um, and I think part of part of the tragic history of you know of you know gay life is is religious reple- repression and how religion comes in and can be a barrier too. And I think it's interesting that this movie somewhat gets at it that Alma's religious, and then Heath and is like, I don't want to go to the the social. Yeah, and it's kind of like what and this movie was never was never going to go there. I wanted to know more what Heath Ledger thought of the church mm. and what the church did with Ennis and what what was going on with that interaction because I think that's such another significant force and I think it's something that Christians are still struggling with and have been struggling with and especially in the past 15 years are still navigating of gay life within the church and how the church interacts with gay life and, uh, different no- denominations have completely different, um, uh, different tax with it. And some denominations, you can have gay clergy, some denominations, it's gay clergy. And, you know, you can get married in the church. Other churches are like, absolutely not no gay clergy, no, no gay people in it. It's just, this is another struggle. And in some ways for Christians, they're still they're in 1963 cowboy land of they're in this repressed like you and I went to Whitworth as a Christian college it's like we knew gay people there that had the same kind of closeted struggles because it's the same you know it wasn't always murdery but sometimes it was and it, it just it's depressing that this movie's set in 1963 but we have different social settings that still make it feel like 1963.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, even, even back at Whitworth, uh, like we had to do a sit-in, um, in order for there to be a, um, an LGBT, I mean, at that point in time, it was just LGBTQ, I think, uh, club on campus. And like, even for all of those students to like come out and very, publicly be like i am one of the people who want to start this club because obviously i'm gay um <laughs> uh, yeah. was was like a big deal and so i mean it's obviously still an issue it's just this movie i think is able to create such a a stark contrast with its time period and i just think it was a very long movie and maybe that was part of it that was written into it than being in church or at some point in time, but I think it would have been hard to add anything
2: to this film. Yeah. I Just as a person who grew up in a religious household and has his own religious household, I would like to see another movie do the same kind of um, uh, well artist, well-done artistic approach to contemporary problems and... I would like to see it dealt with within people within the church, because I feel like it's an, it's something that's being swept under the rug still, and it's still a struggle. And it's just kind of like, that's what I'd like to see is us. And the problem is there's no good answer because there's lots of interpretive things. And there's lots of, there's just a lot of disdain between secular and, and religious worlds. And it breaks my heart. Cause it's like, we, we got to figure this out. Like we need to be, we need to be coming together on this issue and we can't be divisive over this. And that's what really moved me about this is like that's what i related to the most like i see this a lot in the church and it, it kills me mm, um, mm-hmm. that this pain is existing still and there's no there's no good answer either and that's what's so hard
0: yeah maybe maybe we'll get to the point one day where there is um where people's hearts are softened enough that the answer comes more readily
2: yeah, but until then, we're we're on the lookout for that movie. So if you're a filmmaker, we want to champion you. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: on another very special edition of Kelly and Ryan's rom-com Oscars. Uh, what's your what's your rom-com Oscar, buddy? Best naked cowboy. Yeah, we get to see them both naked at one point in time. They got good bods. With the cowboy hat, With the cowboy I was like, hat. "This, this feels like a calendar for a second. Actually, I think my favorite moment of nakedness in this film um, was when they jump off the cliff together, and yeah. and there's nothing funnier um, than a couple of um, <laughs> penises just flying through the air, just, flipping and flopping everywhere. Guys being dudes, just guys being dudes. <laughs> guys being dudes. Um, yeah, everybody gets naked in this film. Like all the
2: all the four um romantic leads Um, pretty equitable i mean i feel like boobs lasted a little bit longer on screen which brings up a really good like double standard of like if you've got a penis on screen it really needs to be brief before it gets an nc17 rating which is just ridiculous to me yeah (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) maybe it's just because they're so like on in general more silly looking that's true. <laughs> the sensor's like, ah! ah! This this is really going to break that that dramatic tension.
2: Yeah. So um, Best
0: Naked Cowboy. Best Naked Cowboy. I like it. Um I think I might give this best cinematography. Um just because it's I think out of everything we've seen so far, it is the
2: most gorgeously shot film. Mhm.
3: Mhm.
2: Okay. Um let's What about our what about our pentagram of um of depth and schmaltz. Ryan, and-
0: How much schmaltz would you give this movie? Because I'm giving it a, a 10 out of 5. What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm going to give it a... Oh, good. Uh, I mean, if I could... I think we, have, we can't say zero, but uh, I'll give it a... No, we can say zero. I'm giving this movie a zero out of 5. <laughs> for schmaltz. I'm going
2: to give it a 1. I'm going to give it a 1, just because it's still... A zero out of 5 is okay well let's give, give is, let's give it a one let's give it a one i'm on board with that i because i want to set the control a zero out of five is like i can't even say die hard because die hard still has schmaltz like a really cool action movie that has no romance to it like a well that's uh, remember schmaltz
0: isn't necessarily romance
2: i know but like a a, a good cheesiness a, a je ne sais quoi of cheesiness um I mean You can't think of a zero out of five Schmaltz. This factor. this
0: does have pastoral romance in it at one point in time, and I think that gives it its one
2: percent. Right. Yeah. Oh, I've got I've got Schmaltz. I've got your zero schmaltz. I got Schmaltz. Jean Luc Godard Jean-Luc Godard film is a, sh- a zero schmaltz film because he just whispers in French and it's just nothingness, nothingness, yeah, yeah, yeah. nothingness. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that that's zero schmaltz. This is one out of schmaltz because it's like just the simmer it. Um, I would say humor,
0: probably, probably, a I mean, it's got some humor to it. He does his rodeo clown bit. There's the rodeo clown bit. There's, uh, when Heath Ledger gets mad at the donkeys because they bucked him off when the bear was there.
2: Stupid donkeys.
0: <laughs> Stupid <laughs> donkeys. Um, and th- they, they have a wrastly good time. Um, but I'd still give it like a 1.5 on the humor scale.
2: I'm going to give it a one. Yeah. Uh,
0: romance though. I think this movie is five. a five on the romance scale. Like this movie deals so little bit with so little with lust after that first initial scene. Cause I would say their first, their first time they have sex, it's a lot about like unleashing pent up mm-hmm. lust yeah. and attraction. And the next time when they have their first, like, I would more call that second scene, a first kiss, um, because it's all about yeah. like Keith Ledger being vulnerable and being able to be soft in a way that we never see him again. Yeah. Um yeah, so this movie is just up yep. there. Yep. And depth, same thing. 5. Five. Fives. Um originality. 5. Like I want to say 4 just because I don't know the um like the other I bet there's a lot of Westerns with a lot of subtext to them, but none that was at least this big studio film that handled this situation so uniquely.
2: I'm going to give it a four. I guess I'll give it a Um, (laughs) 4.5. Because a five for me would have to be something that breaks the formula and representation alone is not enough to break the formula it's just like oh new take so it's like way up there but it's not like it's not like a different format it's just it's a format just altered an altered format sure cuz i've seen this i've seen
0: similar movies to this that are heterosexual
2: yeah it's a sweeping romantic western which does give it points of and- originality for sure yeah, yeah yeah that's why i'm like almost five but i can only give five to like like charlie kaufman movies or fives sure, you know? like sure, sure, sure. only those are five all right then
0: ryan who would you fall yeah. in love with i
2: would fall in love with michelle williams
3: interesting uh,
2: lay it on me brother she just had this soft presence this tender presence she just seemed really sweet Anne Hathaway, I would fall in lust with because I was like, ha am going to, um, but, um, like in the Mary Boff kill category, it would be Mary Michelle Williams, Boff, Anne Hathaway, and, uh, kill the Randy Quaid, <laughs> kill Randy Quaid. Um, um, okay. But yeah, Mary, definitely Mary Michelle Williams. And
0: what about or fall in love with uh, it? And Williams. if you had to pick out of, um, our two lead lead characters, which one would
2: you pick? Jake Gyllenhaal, because Heath Ledger scares me. <laughs> He's just very intense person, and I wouldn't be able to handle him. Very, very fair. I think um, this this one's
0: kind of hard for me. Um, Heath Ledger was someone I I figured out I wanted to become a filmmaker about three weeks before Heath Ledger died, and mm. I for some reason I was just always very like attracted to him as a person and he it's hard to separate the character from the the actor for me in that regard because I have an, a natural inclination to him not Jack Jack is is too I don't know like like as physically and hathaway Michelle Williams is probably the the second greatest actor here outside of Heath Ledger. I mean, I, I, it's hard to compare them. Um, mm-hmm. Who would I fall in love with? Honestly, if I, there's something about the quietness of Heath Ledger's character that I'm going to have to go with where okay. like his stoicism, the moments where he breaks and jokes about like uh Jack's harmonica playing, And Mm -hmm. just like the way he sits in the field and kind of like watches the sheep from a distance. I'm uh, I'm, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, with Ennis, even though I hate his name. (laughs) (laughs) Ennis. That's such a cowboy name too. Yeah. Um, Okay. Well um, let's uh, next week. Well, we had a tiny kerfuffle when we were trying to figure out the movie. So this week, instead of what we were going to do, we're going to do Netflix's, to all the boys I loved before. Yay! And back to the show.
2: Let's give them the doodly-doo. Where can we, uh, where we can find, uh, find us on the social media? You can
0: find us at romcomgents at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, you can email us at romcomgents at gmail.com. Please send us some love or any questions or like anything we missed that you really wanted us to talk about. And we can talk about that on the next episode. Um, you can feel free to go ahead and rate and subscribe us like that would do so much for us. If you just went to iTunes or, you know, Apple podcasts and just rated and subscribed us and probably Ryan, what else could they do?
2: If you like our podcast and you want to support us, the absolute best thing you can do is tell your friends who you think would also like listening to us and give them, give them this recommendation to, to give us a listen. Cause that would be the biggest, most helpful thing in the universe is just, uh, Spreading the word. Spreading the word our, about our show. That would be great. Um, and in the same same time, it would
0: be great if you could, like, especially right now, uh, if there's any um if there's any friends that you know that are just need a little extra love during this point in time, whether they are uh, being activists right now, whether they're gay, and you just want to be like, hey, I support and love you. This is this is the month to do a, a, a lot uh, with your love. So, you know, keep spreading the love out there.
2: Mm-hmm. Spread the love uh, with that. I'll say I love you. I love you. All right. I'll see you next we'll week. See you next week. Bye. All right. Bye.
0: <clears throat> and this is where we will say goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you
1: adieu. Thank you for listening to- a review. Rate and subscribe
0: will even take a bribe. See you next week on a gentleman's
3: guide. To rom-coms.